Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord today. And my thanks to our incredible worship team who did a great job in preparing our hearts for worship. And my thanks to you for coming today because if you weren't here, it wouldn't be near as much fun. So thank you so much for coming today. And if you're here today for the first time, we just launched a new series entitled Growing Up Jesus. And we're going to be studying through the book of James. We're going to do Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. We're going to go through March 17th, take a couple weeks break, and then go again, take some break, and end up sometime in the summer. Uh, So we're very excited about growing up Jesus. Kind of a double connotation there. Um, One is, just like, you know, if you can imagine, you know, if you're a child, you're expected to kind of grow up. And as believers, in Jesus Christ, God wants us to grow. And so that's what growing up Jesus is all about. And what better person to teach us about growing up Jesus than a guy who grew up with Jesus? You know, James is, of course, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the same mom, but a different dad, because Jesus' dad was God Almighty. And, of course, James' dad was Joseph. And, and can you imagine, again, growing up and, and your big brother's God? I mean, it'd be incredible if you stop and think about it. Never did anything wrong. I mean, I, can you imagine? I think I said, I wonder if, if maybe James, you know, said, so, so, Mom, tell us about when Jesus was born again. Tell us how you ended up in Egypt. Tell us how, how you ended up here and ended up there. It had to be just an incredible, incredible story. And, and the crazy, and of course, not the crazy part. You can imagine this. Again, so at 30 years old, your big brother goes public with it and says, I'm God. And you're going, look, I grew up with you, I, I know all about you, and yeah, you're a good kid and everything, but I just can't buy that. And that's what happened with James. James did not buy into Jesus being God until after the resurrection. And kind of, when he came back from the dead, it sort of changes everything. You know, people get up from the dead, it sort of changes stuff. And, and that happened with James. All of a sudden, he goes, you really are God. You really are the, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so James became um, a couple of things. One was the leader of the Jerusalem church and one of the really strong uh, advocates of the Lord Jesus Christ during this time. And so he writes to, to the 12 tribes that were scattered. And the reason they were scattered is because of the great tribulation that was going on. He wrote to the 12 tribes of Jews who are now Christians talking to them in very practical terms about what it means to grow up in Jesus. So we are looking today at this part of this. Now, last week we launched, and today we're going to look at verses uh, 2 through 11 of chapter number 1, and we want to talk about lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, well, not exactly, but, but you remember, do you remember, well, maybe you don't remember. Could you show that little short video? If you're older, you remember this. Do you suppose we'll meet any wild animals? Mm, we might. Animals that, that eat straw? Uh, some, but mostly lions and tigers and bears. Lions? And tigers? And bears. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. 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 Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, Y'all remember that? Yeah, we grew up. You know, it was a really bad thing. Was we kind of had the habit of going to church on Sunday night, and they always showed the Wizard of Oz on Sunday night. It's this great debate. Do we stay home from church and watch the Wizard of Oz or not? And frankly, kind of like we did. Now, now we know that as believers in Jesus Christ, we really don't face lions and tigers and bears, but we do face trials, tribulations, and temptations. Oh, my. Say that with me. 
trials and tribulations and temptations, oh my. And we do. And here's the deal. James, when he talks about this, gives us a really, well, he just rocks our world. He just rocks our world. Because you know, when you think about those things, the trials and the tribulations and temptations of life, he gives us some advice and a command that really we go, huh? What's up with that? So let's take a look, starting in verse number uh, 2 through 4 of James. And that, of course, is again, back toward the book of Revelation. Come forward, go to the left, about four or five books, and you'll find the book of James there. And let's look and see what, Jesus, or what James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, says about trials, tribulations, and temptations. Oh my, here's what he says. I'd like to read both verses and come back and teach through these two. Consider it. A great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. Uh, great joy? Various trials? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete. So, so James kicks us off. He rocks our world totally. Now notice he does say, my brothers. So what he's saying today is talking about people who have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And by this, I, mean, I don't mean being a Baptist. I don't mean joining a church. I, I don't mean being baptized. I, I mean believing that what happened on a cross like this 2,100 years ago was all about the fact that the wages of sin was death. Okay? And, and, that, and that someone had to die for sin. And what God did was he, made, he stated the price that the wages of sin was death and then paid the price. The whole thing, the whole Christmas thing, the whole Easter thing is about God becoming flesh you know, and, and living a sinless life. And then at what we call Easter time, we'll be celebrating here in just a few weeks. You know, he goes to a cross and willingly dies. It wasn't murder. It wasn't that he was a martyr. It was God's plan. He was nailed to a cross and he dies, and when he dies, he cries out, it is finished. And what he meant was is that the price for, pay, for sin had been paid and that God's wrath had been satisfied. And they put him in a grave. And you know what they say? You can't keep a good man down. Come on. You can't keep a good man down. So that was Friday, and on Sunday, he gets up again. And he lives. And that's what I'm talking about. When he says brothers, it, the, the connection there is people who believe and have received what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So he says, I want you to consider, I want you to chalk it up. I want you to count it as done. I want you to reckon it as so. So he says, I want you to understand that, that this is something that you've got to get. You know, consider it, what great joy. Now, I promise you, when you see great joy and trials, they don't go together. I, I really thought Dave was going to preach my sermon. Yeah, yeah. Great joy and trials just don't go together. And, and you know, we, we kind of, we, I think most of us heard, if you've been in church a little while, you kind of got the idea that, you know, happiness depends on circumstances and joy doesn't. But still, that didn't get it for me. And then finally it was like, duh, a light came on. It's this. Joy has everything to do with peace and well-being. With peace and well-being. That in the midst of even trials and, and tribulations and temptations, that we can have a peace and well-being. And we find that peace and well-being in knowing that our God is sovereign. That our God is in control of our lives. That there's nothing you are going to face as a Christ follower, as a Christian, that God doesn't know about. You'll never see God going, whoops, 
God doesn't, there, there's not a Hebrew word, and there's not a Greek word, and there's not a Latin word in God's vocabulary for whoops. Or you never find God going, oops, got me. Uh-oh, Jesus. God doesn't know those words because he's sovereign. So he says you can have peace and well-being. You can have great joy whenever you fall into various trials. Now, you see that word whenever? Do you know what he didn't say? And it's important for us, for us Western Hemisphere Christians. The guys in Africa understand this. The guys in Asia understand this. The guys in, in China understand this. Those believers, they get this. What, what James doesn't say is uh, consider it, reckon it, okay, a great joy. Have great peace and well-being, my brothers, if you fall into various trials. See, whenever doesn't leave much room for if, does it? But in the Western culture, because we somehow got in our heads that when we trust Jesus Christ, everything's hunky-dory. We never get sick and we never lose our jobs. Everything's going to be, every day's blue skies. Uh, that's not the way it is. And remember James writing to these Christians, these 12 tribes of Jewish believers who are Christians now. They were being persecuted. And they understood that there was going to be trials and tribulations and, yes, even temptations. So, so James says, count it all joy whenever you fall into. The literal Greek there for experience is when you fall into this. It's not like you're looking for trouble. It's not like you're looking for a trial. It's not like you're looking for a temptation. You just fall into it. It's, look at the sideboards. As you journey. As you journey through life, you are going to fall into various kinds of trials. It's life. It's life. This earth and your existence here as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is in heaven. It's coming later. Amen? It's coming later. So he says, you know, you can have this well-being because of the sovereignty of God, and you're going to fall into, you're going to encounter various kinds of trials. But look what he says. He says in verse 3, we can have this peace and this well-being knowing... And this is the why, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In other words, and and David said it. I'm guessing I just read my brain. That these trials and tribulations, they're not arbitrary. The trials and tribulations, God is sovereign and God has purpose. He's purposed in your life for trials and for tribulations. And one of the purposes of that is that you may have your faith tested to make sure it's genuine, and it produces endurance. I love this word, endurance. Endurance is like, it's like growth. And by the way, that's God's will for us. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, God did not leave you here to suck oxygen. He did not leave you here to fill a blue chair. He left you here for a couple reasons. One, to become more like Jesus Christ, His Son, to grow in Christ, to, to journey in Christ, to grow up Jesus but also to grow his kingdom. To share this incredible good news about the fact that Jesus died for our sins with as many people as we can. So endurance means there's the possibility for growth. We don't grow in sunshine. We grow when it rains. We, we grow in difficulty. We grow in trials. Um, one commentary said this, Endurance is faith stretched out. Let me say it again. Endurance is faith stretched 
out. It means trusting God, trusting the sovereignty of God, not for a day, not for a week, not when it's good and not when it's bad. Trusting God for the long haul and always. And it's funny because the, the Latin root of the word endurance, that we our word comes from endurance, means to be hard-pressed, to be hardened. Now, you know we have a lot of coal in southern Illinois. And are we friends of coal? Come on. Are we friends of coal? Yes, we are. You better mark her down. But you know what? If you take coal and put it under a lot of pressure, what does it become? Diamonds. Diamonds. And did you know that God has a purpose when you're putting under intense pressure on this earth through trials and tribulations, those kind of things, that there's a reason for that? He wants to make you a diamond. And that can only happen when we experience the trials and tribulations of life. It doesn't happen when things are going well. It happens when the pressure is intense. So, so James says, kind of great joy, have great peace because of the sovereignty of God, because you're going to fall into various kinds of trials. But hey, the good news is this, that God gives you an opportunity to grow in Him, and that's what it's all about. And if we will let endurance have its work, it's going to produce a diamond. So let me ask you a question. So what is our strategy? What is our response when trials come? Now, let's, let's be honest. You know, what do we think? Well, well first off this. The first thought that often pops our head in a trial is escape. When someone hollers fire, you look for the exit. You look for the fire escape. So often when trial, because of who we are, the way we're wired in our Western culture, the first thing we want to do when we see a trial is we want to escape. That's good and that's bad. If, if in fact it's not really a trial, it's a temptation, that's a good time to look for the escape. When, when Satan, guys, when Satan comes up and puts this beautiful woman in front of you and you've got a wedding veil in your hand and you are so tempted to have thoughts that you shouldn't have or take action that you shouldn't take in, Paul gives us a word for that. Run! Run! You don't have to think about it. You don't have to have a prayer meeting. You don't have to have a committee meeting. You don't have to take a vote. Run! So there are times escape is good in trials and tribulations and temptation. But there's times when you don't. If it's not a temptation and you're going through life and there are trials and tribulations, if God truly is God and if He's sovereign, that means He ordains these things. And there's a purpose, a lesson that you need to learn. So sometimes escape's not good, sometimes it is. The, the second thing, though, we want to do, if it's not escape, is we want to explain. And that's good and that's bad. Don't we often, when we're in a trial, go, okay, you know, what's this about? The other day, and Gina's here today, you know, it was Monday, and, and I had before me a plate of pot, crock pot pizza. I mean, this thing had cheese all over it. Sorry, Rod. Pepperonis, noodles. It was saying, eat me. And I took one bite. They were there. I got witnesses. One bite. And Sandy comes in and says that Gabby, Edith's granddaughter, Gina's daughter, was at the hospital and they were trying to revive her. All of a sudden, it's a life and death situation. And we go there and you know the story that, that Gabby 
passed away. And it was a difficult time. It was just horrible. And I'm leaving the hospital. And I call Sandy and Kate. Okay, Sandy, I'm leaving the hospital. I'm going to go home and get some lunch. And I'll be in the office. Okay. Oh, oh, by the way, the funeral home called from Carbondale. And a, 20 month, a 20-week-old baby has been stillborn. And they want you to do the funeral. All in the same day. All in the same hour and a half, hour span. You know what I said? Okay, God, what are you doing? Because I'm telling you, that just doesn't happen. And my prayer is, is that even in this tragic loss of Gabby, and even the tragic loss of a 20-week-old baby, that God was made big. So when, when trials and tribulations come, don't, don't necessarily look for an explanation because there might not be one. It's okay. Listen, if you're in a trial right now, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, what's up? But hear this. If God chooses not to tell you, don't take it that he's failed you. That's the bad side. If you're so hung up on, God's got to explain himself. God doesn't have to explain himself. He's God. I mean, I told, I told the folks, God doesn't need a defense attorney. He's God. So sometimes he'll explain and sometimes he won't. So an explanation could be good or it could be bad. And then, of course, we look for the exit. We want it over how soon? I want patience and I want it now. Okay, God, you may have sent this trial and you don't explain yourself, but I want it over now. No. You want it over when God says it's over. Because there's no sense going to school and getting out before the bell. You've got to trust God that God knows when to ring the bell. You've got to trust God that God, because he loves you, because he's sovereign, because of Jesus Christ, would a God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you abandon you? No. You've got to trust God that when his purpose has been fulfilled in whatever trial or tribulation you're in, he'll ring the bell. And then the exit comes. He, he says this in verse number 4. But endurance must, you see it? Endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It's incredible. Maturity comes when God says it's over. So, so have great peace and well-being in the midst of the storms that are going to come in your life, the trials and the tribulations, the trials that are coming. You can have this well-being because your God is sovereign. Satan is not in the, in the grandstand. Please hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Satan is not in the grandstand of your life taking pot shots at you. Read the book of Job. My God and your God is all Powerful. He does not share his authority. He does not share his power. He does not share anything with Satan. Our God is everything. And when he brings these trials in, sometimes there's an escape. Sometimes there is, there is a, an exit. Sometimes there's an explanation. But not always. So then, then James moves on. And now please hear me. This is important because this is a familiar passage of scripture. I quote it a lot. It's important that you don't lose the context. He's still talking about trials and tribulations. He doesn't change gears. 
Okay? So he says this in verse number 5. He says, and by the way, i got some things on the sermon sheet called Dig Deeper. Those are just for your study later on. Okay? Now here's what he says. Now, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. So what's the context? Trials and tribulations. It's like James is saying this. Okay. So how, what's the, how, how do you best, how, how do you wisely act in trials and tribulations? Because let me tell you something. Listen, listen. If you act improperly in a trial, you destroy the witness of God. If you act incorrectly in, in tribulation, in other words, you're saying, yeah, my God, well, God wasn't there for me, and God wasn't this, and God wasn't that, and you say to the wrong person, if that person doesn't know Jesus Christ, they may walk away going, That's not, I don't want to serve that God. And if you say it to a believer, you may weaken his faith. So how do you wisely act in trials and in tribulations. Here's what he says. Now, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God. Wisdom's cool. Wisdom, on a more, not secular, but, but not necessarily a, a biblical basis, wisdom is the correct use of knowledge. I read it in a commentary a long time ago. Wisdom is the correct use of knowledge. To, to spiritualize it more. Wisdom is the correct use of knowledge, dot, 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 God's Word. You can use God's Word for an advantage and using God's Word in a disadvantage. The worst thing you can do in a trial or tribulation is run to the Word of God, flip some pages somewhere. Yeah, yeah, here we go, here we go. God, you promised, and God, you've you, you got to do this, God, because you said so. And some promise made to Abraham... 6,000 years ago. And you walk away all discouraged because God didn't keep His Word. Wisdom is the proper handling of knowledge, and in particular, God's Word. Secondly, according to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so you, couple, you couple, if anyone lacks wisdom... The correct use of, of the Word of God, couple it with a deep, reverential fear and love of God. Couple those together. And that's what James is saying. If you lack that, what do you do? Ask God. Ask God. If, if you really don't know, because can you trust the Bible? Woo, shoot that thing, you can. This is not a collection of old, dusty manuscripts. This is the living Word of God. I mean, this, this, this book, actually a collection of 66 books, has been proven throughout the ages. There is, now listen, listen, trust me on this. If not, you Google it when you get home. There is no other ancient writing like the Bible. It has stuck true, needed no revisions throughout the years. The Bible has proved itself over and over and over again. It is not, it is not just man's writing. It is the living Word of God. And that's what we turn to. If you, need to, if you need some answers, you turn to God's Word. So here you're in this trial and tribulation, then you need to be able to turn to the Word of God and handle it properly and correctly. 
And then you need to have this deep trust of God. God, I know you, I believe you, I trust you. I know you, I believe you, I trust you. I know you, I believe you, I trust you. You are God. With that thought in mind, you ask God. And, and the Bible says God gives. He gives generously. He gives without criticism. You know, have you ever heard this before? There's no dumb questions. We debate that sometimes, don't we? You know, when our kid says, can I stay out until 3 o'clock in the morning? Uh, that is a dumb question. Okay, can I? You know, God never. When you go to God and say, okay, God, I'm in this trial. And, and God, your word says if I lack wisdom on how to handle this trial, uh, I have a question. God's not going to go, that's stupid. He never does that. There are no stupid questions with God. You know, he says without criticizing, without being critical of you. He, he gives. He gives generously. He gives without being critical. That is, he is gracious, and it will be given. He's great. He has the ability to give you the wisdom you need in trials. That's why, at least one of the reasons, you ought to read your Bible. This, this guy or any guy you want to put on the stage... If you're going to grow up, Jesus, you got to get more than what I can give you or some Sunday school teacher can give from 9 to 10. That's why y'all read your Bible. And it's cool if it's not, it's not habit. It's like there's help here. <laughs> you know, David said it again. Is life hard? Yeah. Are there going to be trials? Uh, yeah. Where do you get the answers? Hello. Amen. It really is. That's why y'all read your Bible. So he says, he says he'll give to every person. Now, now this is huge. You've got to get this. Look at verse number 8. I'm sorry, verse 6. But let him ask in faith without doubting. Now, now, this is cool. Because we know faith, right? And doubt is the opposite of faith. Would you agree with that? Now, here's what's cool. In the context of the scripture, there's more to it than that. The idea when it says faith, think single-mindedness. I believe God. It leaves no door for external pressures. I believe God. So let him ask in faith. You may say, faith is a single-minded commitment. I believe God. Say it with me, please. I believe God. Now, this is cool because your friends, particularly ones who don't know Jesus, and sometimes, unfortunately, believers, will give you this, say, what do you mean you believe God? And my goodness, if you wait to determine this in the midst of your circumstance and your life is going south quick, your circumstance is going to scream at you, you can't trust God. See, so you've got to nail it down before. You've got, to, you've got to get it down. So faith is single-minded commitment. And here's what's cool. The word doubt there, you know what it means in the Greek? Double-mindedness. Which makes perfect sense if you look at what James follows with. The doubter is unstable in all his ways. So James is saying, now listen, when you're in these trials, you don't need to be double-minded. You need to be single-minded. You need to trust and believe that God is God. There's not room in trials. Actually, there's not room anywhere in a believer's life for double-mindedness. What did Jesus say? Something like, um, you can't serve two masters? Well, you can't be a double-minded believer and have any measure of success or abundant life here. Now, double, you know what I mean by double-minded? Okay, God, I trust you. 
No, I don't. Okay, God, I trust you. No, I don't. God, I want to serve you. Uh, no, I don't. God, God, I want to love you more than anything. No, I don't. See, the problem with a lot of marriages is too many husbands and wives are double-minded. They can't figure out who they love. He says that there's, there's no room for doubt. No room for double-mindedness. In fact, let me read it to you. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't that a perfect picture? I'm, I'm from the south. I'm from Jacksonville. I grew up with the beach. And the waves are constantly moving. If you've ever been on a small boat and big waves, he says, he says he, that's what he's like. And verse 7. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Context being wisdom here, but true other places. Don't, don't think God's going to give you wisdom if you can't figure out if you believe in Him or not. You've got to put your foot down and say, I believe God. I trust God. Now here's the deal. The trials and tribulation thing is not optional. You're going to have them. I used to say it this way. Let's say you're in a 5K race. You have the option of running with a very good pair of running shoes or barefooted on hot asphalt. What's the better choice? I think the running shoes. Particularly because of hot asphalt. You're going to have trials and tribulations in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. The option is trust God single-mindedly or be double-minded. And you don't want this. You don't want this. And then he says this, verse 8. An indecisive man or woman is unstable in all his ways. Now, here's where James really puts it out there for us. He's talking about wisdom and trials and tribulations. But he says this. If you're double-minded in that area, it's going to bleed over to all areas. If you're, if you're double-minded in the area of wisdoms and trials and tribulations, oh my, you're going to find yourself being double-minded when the sun's shining too. When God gives you a $20,000-year pay raise and you're going, what should I do with the excess? What should I do with the excess? You're going to find this double-mindedness bleeds over into the rest of your life. So then he concludes, you know, in our lives... We have like multiple classes of people economically and all that. Really, in, in James's world, there was the poor and the rich. That's all there was. And here's the, here was the philosophy. If, if, you're, if you're poor, God doesn't like you. And so I goes, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> if you're poor, God was withholding his blessing. You've obviously offended him because that's why you're poor. And if you're rich, then that means that God likes you. Because obviously, he's given you a lot of stuff. So that was kind of the two classes in James's arena. Okay? So he closes by addressing really everyone who's in one or two classes. Ours might be a little more varied than that, but, but that's what he closes with. Here's what he says. The brother, notice that term again, talking to Christians, talking about Christ followers. The brother of humble circumstance should boast in his exaltation. And you go, what? The, the, the brother and the poor brother, the brother has nothing. 
The brother who we think God is mad at should boast in his exultation? What? That makes no sense. And what James is saying but not saying is that the poor person, not because he's poor, but the poor person has special blessings. And that that special blessing, you need to identify with certain things. For instance, you need to find your, your identity in Jesus Christ. Now remember, these are believers. So, come on. In our world, let's say you don't drive the nicest car. Don't you kind of feel like some people kind of look down their nose at you? And you kind of have a complex, you know. If you only go to church one time a week and there's people who go three times a week and they kind of go, look down at you. Kind of feel insecure. James is whispering in our ears saying this. Find your identity in Christ. It does not matter what others think of you. It matters what God thinks about you. Get your identity in Jesus Christ. Find, find your identity in Him. You know, in case you're wondering, well, am I valuable to God? Can I take you one more time back 2,100 years? For God so loved the world. For God so loved Randy. He loved you. For God so loved the world that He gave to a Roman cross. He gave His Son to His wrath. He gave His Son to a horrible execution. That whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. Are you important to God? More than you can imagine. Do not worry what others think about you. Do not worry about what others think of you. Find your identity in Christ. Then, find your position in Christ. I just gave it to you. You are in Christ. You are not held and security by your works. Listen, you can do nothing to get saved, and you can do nothing to stay saved. The reason you're going to heaven one day when you die, if you're a Christ follower, is because you are in Christ. It's because of what He did, not what you can do. And the sooner we can learn that, the happier we're going to be as believers in Jesus Christ. We can't do it. He did it all. He paid it all. He did it all. Find your position in Christ. Find your promises in Christ. God's sovereign. Why do some people have so much and other people have so little? I know this. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. And what a day that will be. Because when heaven comes... All of this inequity and life isn't fair and all that is going to be passed. And we're going to a place called heaven where it will be nothing short of incredible. And the black man the white man is going to be treated equal. And the poor man the rich man is going to be treated Come on now. Going to be treated equal. And, and addresses won't matter. And name tags won't matter. And titles won't matter. And positions won't matter. Because it's all going to be level up there. There's coming a day. So my, my poor brother, he would say, of, of, in humility, boast in your exaltation. Because God thinks you're great. And you're in Christ. And there is coming a better day. 
And then he addresses the other group. He says this. Now, now, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation. Not his exaltation, his humiliation. Because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises for the scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. Now, we're going to do a, a woa. Can you do a woa with me? Whoa. That means... Before you go, yeah, <laughs> them rich people... I'm on the poor people, them, them rich people, with maybe no exceptions. We are the rich people. We are the rich people. And when you'll see the warnings that he gives, you'll see how it applies to us. We are so blessed to live in the wonderful country of America, where virtually the poorest person is so much richer than the richest man in Africa. I mean, we have houses for our cars. Recently, I, I now own three vehicles and I only got two drivers. That ain't nothing. I got four bicycles and two riders. We are so blessed in America. So the warnings is for every person here. Don't you dare point your finger and say, yeah, it's about you. You are you. All of us. Virtually in this room would fall in this category. I could throw some numbers out, but we're not going to do that. But the rich, the rich, the one who's rich, should boast in his humiliation because he will pass away. James, well, Paul tells us, well, Jesus tells us, and Paul tells us. First off, remember this stuff doesn't make you. Because you drive a BMW does not make you any more. Or less of a man. I mean, culture teaches us that, don't they? Watch the car commercials. It's like if you go out and buy a certain vehicle, all of a sudden you're, oh, king of the mountain. All of a sudden, we're wow. I mean, it doesn't matter if we have no integrity or character, and we beat our wife and beat our children, and we rob, and still, if we drive a certain car, we're cool. Not so, bucko. In fact, here's what Jesus said. He then told them, the people he's teaching, watch out and be on guard against all greed, covetousness, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. If you think because you have a lot of stuff that you're better than someone else, Jesus said you're just wrong. Stuff don't make who you are. That's why you need to boast in your humiliation. Because the ground is level at the cross. Come on. The ground is level at the cross. The blood that was spilt for the poorest man is the same blood that will be applied to the rich man. God's not impressed with our richness in America. Keep in mind, in America. And then stuff can't keep you. 1 Timothy 6.17. I got 10 on the sheet. Excuse that. Command those who are rich, that's us, in this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Not to say, look what I've done. Look what I've got. Look what, through my own power, I got. Nor trust in those riches. I've got this much in the bank, 
and I'm secure. Okay? But rather, he says, in the living God, who, by the way, gives us all things richly to enjoy. Isn't that cool? I guess God goes, you can have an iPhone 5. Because I got one. I enjoy it. Now, I might go back to Android. I'm still tossing with that. I guess I'm double-minded, Brent. So, so God's not against things. He's just against things owning us. And when we trust in our money, I've got this much in the bank, so I'm secure. God says that's a very dangerous place to be. What do you do instead? You, you, you boast in your humiliation. So the, so the poor guy boasts in his exaltation that he's important to God. And the rich guy says, I'm important to God too. Not because I got, but because I have him. Don't put your trust in anything else. So, the bottom line, the one question is this. Do you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, do you trust God? Are you willing to look in your life right now, whatever it looks like, with your address in Southwest Acres or Country Club, or your address is over Barnett Street? It does not matter. Are you willing to trust God? James says, if you're going to grow up in Jesus, that's a beginning step. And to help you, you're going to like this. To help you, God's going to allow you to fall into a few trials and tribulations. Because faith is grown in trials and tribulations and not when the sun is shining. And God wants you to grow up and be like Jesus. Amen? And would you bow your heads right there? So what are you going to do with this today? What are you going to do with this? Are you in right now? If, if I'd ask you, if you're in a trial or tribulation, would you right now, yep, that's me. What are you going to do with that? If right now things are pretty good, what are you going to do to prepare for when they're not? Now, now we have an option. I, I tell you what I prayed this morning for us. I prayed, one, that God's Word would be faithfully taught. And two, I prayed that the Holy Spirit would find an atmosphere where He could work. Because I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm fearful that so often we come into this room and we leave the exact same way we came in. Because we're not drinking or cussing or chewing around other people who do that kind of stuff. So we must be pretty good. As a believer in Jesus Christ, what will you do with this truth that you've heard? Will you grow up in Jesus? Now, we have our time of decision now. I want to pause. and There may be some friends here today who maybe you, you go to church or you join a church. But this, this concept... Of Jesus and the cross and God forgiving your sin. You might be saying, I thought there was a giant scale. And if I went to church and did good things, then I could go to heaven. No, there is no giant scale. It's all about God's amazing grace. And God demonstrated that grace on an old rugged cross. When he became flesh and died on that tree. And the only way you can go to heaven is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's no Baptist, Methodist, or Lutheran. There's no give or do. It's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My friend Brent will be standing down front. I'll be down here also. And today, if you want to know more about trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, as, as being the, the pulse of your life,
as experiencing forgiveness through his sacrifice on the cross, we'd be glad to share with you. You know, for me, it happened about 37 years ago. It's been an incredible, incredible ride. What religion could not do, God's grace did in my life. It was incredible. Now, for the rest of us, what are we going to do with the truth? Are you willing today to say, God, I trust you? I trust you. You are sovereign. You are God, and I am not. And starting today, I'm going to trust you. Now, now here's the gig. You heard last week, you're going to hear this so much. Even that probably you can do. Now, come on, you can't. But Christ can through you. What you can do is make yourself available and say, God, Jesus, I want to trust you. Help me to do that. And you know what you'll find? You will. If any man asks God, or needs wisdom, then ask God, who gives all men generously and liberally. The worst, the worst thing we could do is say, no, that's it, Judy. That's a great standard. That's a great ideal, but it does not work for me. It will work for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. The altar is going to be open this morning. If we can pray with you in any way, we'd be glad to do that. So, Father, thank you so much for the uh, freedom to preach today and the privilege of preaching today um, and sharing your word. And I want to pray, Father, for my friends who may not know Jesus Christ. Man, may today be the day when they experience the greatest gift ever. And for all of us, others, Father, may we leave this room saying, Okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Kind of like the guy who said, I believe. I love you, Jesus. And I pray in your name.